The reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 through to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, Would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order for us to wait on tables? Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, meet together this morning, as we spend time together as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ here at St. Stephen's, uh, I'm sure lots of things are going through our hearts and minds. Uh, for some of us, uh, we're still thinking about the celebrations and rejoicing of uh, Mal and Ryan's wedding yesterday. We thank you for the joy that that uh, brought to uh, so many of us. Uh, all of us, I'm sure, are still feeling the sadness and loss of a dear brother in Stephen. And uh, our hearts continue to go out to Carolyn and the family, uh, and also the Oldham family as well. We'll all also have uh, our own personal things that we're dealing with, issues that we're going through that this morning. And I pray that you would minister to each one of us through the songs that we sing, through the prayers that we uh, offer, through the communion we share, remembering all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus and the future you've assured us. Uh, but also now as we spend some time under your word. Please encourage and instruct our hearts and minds. Lift us up by your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week uh, has been uh, an extraordinary one in the life of our church family. As I just prayed, uh, many of us had the celebrations and genuine joy of yesterday at uh, Ryan and Mel's wedding, and, and it was a great day and uh, lots to give thanks for. Uh, but we have also lost in Stephen Webley a, a wonderful Christian brother, and I'm sure that most of us here have shed a tear either with or for Carolyn and the family uh, over these last few days. Uh, these are the moments, though, that actually happen all the time in this world. Weddings occur every day. People die every day, and yet every now and then they happen in our orbit. They happen in our circle, and then they're not just another number or another statistic, they're actually life-changing. And it's when you're faced with some of those 
big moments in life. It can be a marriage where often the people that aren't getting married sit there and think about what this means and you, you start to think about, well, where's my life and what am I doing and what's going on? That, uh, and when, certainly when you're faced with the fragility of life and the fact that it can end so quickly uh, and so easily, it's the perfect time to evaluate our life priorities, to work out what are the important things from the unimportant things. To think again about what we put our energies into, what we invest our time and our money in, where we, what we spend our lives pursuing. Uh, perhaps even more important than working out what's important and unimportant, which is relatively easy, is to work out the difference between the urgent and the important. The important and the essential, the, the good and the best, if that makes sense. To see the distinction between two good things, but one's more important, is sometimes harder to pick. Well, today we're in our last study in the book of Acts for quite a while. Uh, it's Advent today. Advent starts today. We're one week late. In, we're going to start it next week, so I apologise for the, the one week over. And so next week we'll be back into the events before Jesus' birth, and that will lead us through to Christmas. Then we're going to have a summer psalm series like we've often done over January. So we'll be back in Acts about mid-February. But that actually works out well because our passage this morning is really, in one sense, the end of the first section of the book of Acts. Uh, I think there's three parts to the book of Acts. This is the end of the first one. So it's a natural place to take a break. And what I mean by that is if you were with us when we had our first sermon uh, on the book of Acts a, a little while ago, we came across chapter 1, verse 8. And in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking to the apostles and he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says, You'll be my witnesses in these three different locations. And I said back then, that's a really good structure for the book. The book of Acts tells the story of the disciples taking the good news of Jesus, who just died and risen and gone back to be with the Father, being witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the, of the earth. This passage is the end of the Jerusalem ministry. Uh, next time, which will be mid-February, when we get back into Acts, uh, it's the stoning of Stephen, but that really marks the transition to Judea-Samaria. So this one really is the, the climax or the end of the ministry in Jerusalem. So it's a fitting place to finish this morning for a while. And in our passage, what we're going to see is another problem hit the early church. Not this time persecution from outside, not sinfulness from within inside. It's a more neutral thing causing the problems. But in the face of the problems, the church has to work out its priorities, has to work out what they're going to invest their time and energy and in and how they're going to do it. So I want us this morning to think about the problem and then the two priorities that they, they talk about. Firstly, then, the problem. Uh, if you've been with us over the last little while, we've been seeing a couple of incredible chapters in Acts where we've been challenged by the incredible love that the early church had for one another, the way they cared for each other and looked after one another. I hope that's been one of the challenges that you felt, the same as me. Do we love our brothers and sisters uh, with that, in that same kind of way? They had a sacrificial, practical love that didn't just even benefit themselves, it was the most powerful apologetic tool for the Christian faith outside. What I mean by that is, as people looked into the church and saw the way that people were looked after, saw the way that people were cared for, they wanted to know who this Jesus was that inspired such love uh, in his people. And back in chapter 2 and 4, it said, 
wonderful things about their generosity and their care of each other. Remember, some sold their land and homes to give to others that had need. In fact, chapter 4 said there were no needy people among them. Great stuff that's said. But in chapter 6, now there is need. Chapter 4, there was no need amongst the Christian church that was there. By chapter 6, there is. Now we find a group of people who are missing out on care and aid. In this case, they're missing out on food. Have a look at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Uh, Grecian Jews there just means Jews familiar with and comfortable with Greek language and culture. And the Hebraic Jews are the, the larger group who were used to Jewish or Aramaic language and culture. But can you see this is a serious issue? Because distribution of food is not a luxury. Distribution of food is a necessity. You need it for life. These people aren't getting it. That is totally serious. And we're talking about a very vulnerable group. This is a... Uh, minority of a minority, if I can put it like that. Uh, unless it's wartime, widows are normally a minority. And this is a subset of that minority. It's the Grecian Jewish widows that are missing within the church family that are missing out. But what's causing the problem? What's causing the difficulty? From verse 1, you can see it's what? It's church growth. Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. There was a time in chapter 4 where they could hand out and look after each other and take care of it all, but the church has kept growing and now there's difficulties. The context of all that goes on is the problem of the church growing, of there being more people, of the structures that worked for a smaller group failing to satisfy a bigger group. It's unsustainable or inefficient. And that's a problem for any organisation, isn't it, as it grows. But it's also a problem for churches, and it's still a problem today. Good churches always seek growth, growth numerically and growth spiritually, because we long for more people to know Jesus, and we, we long for people to become more like Jesus. But growth brings problems. Uh, here at St. Stephen's, we've, we've grown over the years, and we're of a size now where we don't all know each other well. That brings its own teething issues and difficulties, where people can kind of slip through the cracks and no one knows that they're going through a difficult time. Uh, sometimes the staff are not always as available because there's more people to see or visit or call. Growth is great, but it brings challenges. It brings difficulties and necessary change. That's the case here. And the specific area where the difficulties arise are in the case of looking after vulnerable, needy Christians. And I want you to notice, it's not just the, uh, that, that people are being missed off that's the, the difficulty here. This threatens the unity of the church. Do you see what happens? The Grecian Jews complain against the Hebraic Jews. And the word there for complaining is literally what? Have a guess what it could be in the Bible grumble, grumbling. And if you've ever done a word study on the word grumbling in the Bible, you'll see that it comes up very regularly in the scriptures because it's a serious problem and difficulty within the people of God. We don't think that way today. Grumbling and complaining sounds harmless. Grumbling, I've said this before, it even sounds like a nice word. It's got that kind of M and B and it's lovely. Grumbling. Grumbling's awful in the scriptures. And we're warned against it and warned against the danger of it all the way through because it brings disharmony. 
Sounds minor, but it brings division. It affects the spirits of people and the spirits of a family and a community. And unity within the church is hugely important. Are you a complainer or a grumbler? I've been asking myself that question too. I don't want you to answer the question about me. You answer it for you. When we have problems and concerns, as we will within perfect, when we're dealing with imperfect people and within an imperfect church structure, we want to be really careful how we deal with them. Today, grumbling and splitting within churches on minor issues is a real thing that happens uh, way, way too often. It's like we've got the consumer mentality where, oh, that's not, I'm not happy with that, right, well, I'm off, instead of working through the difficulties and problems and issues. So that's the problem, though. Do you see, if I can put it like that, the problem coming from church growth within this uh, early church. We then see the solution, and before I talk about the two priorities, I do just want to draw one thing about the solution that I think is interesting. The 12 apostles who've got huge authority, right? They are the 12 apostles. They are the ones that are senior and in leadership, and what do they do? They don't give an edict from on high. They don't just bark orders. What do they do? They call a church meeting. That's what they do here. Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and then they speak within the church meeting. And then verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. I think there's a very important principle there. And I'm pleased about it because I think we try and do that here at St. Stephen's. There are lots of issues within church life where the staff or the wardens or the, uh, the vestry make decisions and kind of life carries on as usual. But there are some issues which are so significant and so important that you don't just have a, a separate leadership group deal with it and make a decision for everyone. We work it out together as a church family. And you will be able to, th- if you've been with us for the last few years, you'll be able to think of a few times when we've done this over the last few years. We did it when we set up the Shirley Evangelical Trust. We talked about whether we were going to do something like that. We had a whole church meeting and we discussed it. We talked about the people that we wanted to nominate as um, uh, trustees and we did it together. We did it when we were dealing with the same sex issue, an issue which is ripping together certain churches. And we said this is a difficult and personal issue. Let's get together to talk about it and work it through together. I think it's a really important principle and one that they do here. Uh, But that's the kind of solution that they propose. We then see the two priorities that the early church kind of speak about. And the first priority is the important one. I'm going to say the important and the urgent. What's the important one? The important priority here is to love and look after the vulnerable within the church community. When you read through the scriptures, you see it on nearly every page of the Bible that God cares for the situations of his people. He cares deeply for the circumstances that you and I find ourselves in. It's a theme that goes right through Old Testament and New Testament. Christians are called to look out in particular for the vulnerable. And there's four categories that are often spoken of about the vulnerable in the scriptures. There's the orphans, the widows, the foreigners and the poor. But what you can see is in common there is people that are going through really difficult times and need help, need uh, comfort or support or practical things being done for them. And that is a non-negotiable for Christians. You can't say you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and not care about his people. You can't do that. This, of course, is one of the other issues that uh, comes up with um, if you're a grumbler or a complainer, you're less likely to help and support and love others when you've got a grumbling, complaining spirit. It's just what happens. Uh, 
and it, I think it can become a way of life without even knowing it. You, and people can change. So you go through a hard part and then you actually... I know in one part of my life there was no way I was a grumbler or a complainer. I had a fairly positive attitude. And then I met someone... No. Then I, I went through a period of time where I just... It was difficult and I, I found myself grumbling more and more and more and it had become a different issue. And when you've got it, you're never going to be good at helping other people because you're always complaining about how tired you are, how much work you've got on or what you're going through and you're not going to see what others are. If you feel the weight of the world's on your shoulders, you're never going to feel you've got the opportunity to help and support others. It's the load burden thing that we spoke about a few years ago from Galatians. Remember within a couple of verses, Paul says, carry your own load, share your burdens. And what he's talking about is life is hard. We've all got a load that's ours. But there, is, there are some periods of life and some things that people go through at different stages that's actually a burden, and it will break you if you try and carry it. And, and some people need to be encouraged to share their burdens because they, they're trying to carry it themselves and not let others help them, and it will break them. But there are other people who won't even pick up their own load and carry that. And a load was made for one person to carry. Uh, it's not supposed to be shared. And so if you're complaining about your load, you're never going to be able to help someone else's burden. The love for the needy needs to happen. It was so important here, even though this was just a minority group of a minority group, a small group of people that were in need, the apostles call a full church meeting to make sure something happens. And then look who they get to do it. And remember, all that, all that these people are going to be doing is distributing food. But there's another good principle in church life here. So these people are not going to be asked to um, uh, lead the sermons or, or Bible studies or train up the next generation of ministers. They're going to be giving out food. Look what the disciple apostles say in verse 2. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. The bar for any leadership in church is godliness, spiritual maturity. And I say that because often in church, churches what we do is we look for someone who's really competent or really gifted in a particular area and we say, you do that. We should look for people that are just godly, full of the spirit, got a servant heart. Hopefully they've got a gift in that area as well, but uh, that's what we're after. It's a good principle to bear in mind. Uh, in verse 5, they list the names of the seven people they choose. I'm pretty sure that there's a few Grecian names there. So they've identified a problem and they've made some uh, probably looks wise decisions in the light of it. But do you see the, the, the important priority here? Loving the vulnerable is part and parcel of the Christian life. And shame on us when we get so stuck with our own things that we, we don't see that that needs to be done. It's an important priority. But that leads us to the last one, the, the second priority, the urgent priority. What's the surprise in the apostles' words in verse 2? Remember, the complaint is the Grecian Jewish widows haven't been receiving food. So the apostles gather all the disciples together and say to them, it would not be right to neglect the what? What would you expect they're going to say there? It would not be right to neglect the Grecian widows. It would not be right to neglect giving food to people who need it or leaving people without food, something along those lines. But they don't say that. They say it would not be right to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And here we get one of the most fundamental lessons in the Christian life. 
because the waiting on tables is hugely important. These people need this food. They are a people that are needy. But the apostles say the ministry of the word is prior. The urgent priority of the ministry of the word is what we see here. When Christian ministry is at its best, at its strongest, it's rock solid on this principle. It's at its weakest when it has missed priorities and different priorities. Now, why is the the ministry of the word the priority? It seems odd. Well, let me answer that by reading out a few strange verses from Mark's gospel which a lot of people read and don't kind of pick up on it, but when you're thinking about it, it's very odd. This is in chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel. And Jesus has been in a town healing people and casting out demons. He's been healing lots of people and casting out lots of demons. And then it says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when he found them, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he then travels to the other places. What's odd there? What's odd is that he stops physically healing people so that he can preach. And he says, that's why I came. That's bizarre. If I could heal people like Jesus, if I could heal people uh, whenever I wanted, whoever I wanted... I would spend my whole time doing that. That's a way to help people. That's a way to make people's lives better. I'd take a trip to the hospital and I'd heal a few wards. I'd heal all the wards. I'd go round healing people all the time. Jesus could have done that and didn't do that. Why? Because, friends, Jesus knew that our greatest need is not physical but spiritual. He knew that our greatest need was not just for this life, but for the life to come. He healed people so that they would listen to what he was preaching about the kingdom of God and the life to come and the forgiveness of sins, so that they would have their eyes upon him as he died for them on the cross and as he rose from the dead, conquering the grave. If we could bring in some of the people that Jesus healed, think about some of the people from the New Testament that Jesus healed. I don't know who your mind goes to. My mind always goes to the blind man from chapter 9 because I love him. I just think he's great. Think of some of the people that Jesus healed. If we could bring them in here this morning and interview them up the front like we do sometimes. We don't do that sometimes, but we interview people up the front sometimes. If we could ask them whether it was more important to them that Jesus healed them physically or that he'd saved them spiritually, what do you think they'd say? There's no question what they'd say. And it's the same for churches today. With all other aspects of Christian life and service, they are important. I'm not trying to uh, demote them or or, or minimise them. They are very important. The way we care for other people physically, the, the, the acts of service and kindness that we do. But ministry of the word stays prior, most urgent. It's because... Why is it that ministry of the word's needed? Because you need to hear the content of the Christian message to be able to respond to it. It's why I said this in a um, seminar at the camp at the beginning of the year. It's why I don't like the phrase in Christian circles around at the moment, Christianity is caught, not taught. Where they're saying it's more important what you do than what you say as a Christian. Or the other phrase that's linked to it that I don't like either is, it's credited to St. Francis of Assisi, I don't know whether he said it or not, but he said, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. You always need words. 
because the Christian message has content, and that content has to be explained. Now, what I don't want to do is say that actions are hugely important. If we're only people that are speaking things and not living it in our lives, we're hypocrites, and we should be seen as that. Very important what we do. But the Christian gospel needs words. People need to hear who Jesus is and what he's done. That ministry of the word is the word that brings people from death to life and from darkness to light. It needs explanation. It needs content. Uh, As Romans 10 puts it, if you remember, how can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Knowing the scriptures, preaching the Bible, teaching the word has to be the priority in church life. The amount of churches today that hardly glance at the scriptures or who relegate word ministry is depressing. And I've got to say, I love it at St. Stephen's where that's not the case. Where we get to parts of the service like this and people are engaged and wanting to learn. When we know the benefit of training our people so that they can send it out. I loved it at the wedding yesterday when nearly every speech about Mel and Ryan spoke about their faith in the Lord. And you think about how many young people that could be uh, set off. It can be set off here because people like Neil and others over many years have not just entertained our youth, but they've done ministry of the word to them. Now, I hope they are entertained. I want them to have a good time. But there's a priority, an urgency. What a great thing. It's got to remain our priority. There's always going to be other distractions. Very important to look after people practically. Sure, priority of the word. We're about to enter a rebuild process that's important. Sure, priority of the word. We've got to keep everything in balance. If this were, I'll finish with this. If word ministry is the priority, what does that mean for us? I presume from chapter 6 here it will mean that some people are and should be involved in word ministry and it should be a priority. And others will take care of other ministries so that word ministry can happen. So let me give a challenge to some of you here today who should be uh, in word ministry. For some of you it may mean a change in career. You change job. I make no apologies in asking people to think about full-time ministry as a way of life, especially some of the younger ones, because it's so important. And there is a dearth of good Christian gospel workers, whether they're missionaries or ministers or whatever they are, around the world. I worked for six years as a diocesan nominator in Christchurch, and I can tell you how many churches who were looking to appoint a minister struggled because there weren't many good ones. We need good people that will, will serve the Lord and do this almost full-time, this ministry of the word. And you may be sitting here this morning and you may be someone who should change jobs <laughs> if, the, if the spirit is working in you. Uh, it might mean doing something, not full-time, but to get better equipped to do it part-time because you serve the children or you lead a home group or you want to be better involved in the home groups. And then you can do something like the equip course or the Tim training course, which is one day a week next year. We've got a great group from St. Stephen's doing the Tim course next year. Uh, Join join that, but, but get better equipped so that you can do it. But it might mean that you serve in other ways so that word ministry can go on might be that you're, you're cooking meat. I love the Care Connect thing that we've got here. I think Liz Robson set it up a few years ago. It uh, might mean that you're visiting people. One of the number one complaints about ministers who uh, word ministry is a big thing is lack of visiting. And the odd thing is, normally when people want to be visited, it's when they're sick or it's when they don't need the word. They just need a hug or a prayer. or a, uh, we, we can all be involved in these different things. It may mean thinking about where your finances go or where your time or energies go. 
but word ministry is urgent. The apostles were clear that this was the main thing for them. And I want to say today, over this weekend, we've been reminded of the changeability of life and the fragility of life. And when you're reminded of those things, you want to be very clear what are the priorities. The priority is word ministry. Because we want people not just good in this life, but good for the life to come. We want people taken care of not just temporarily and physically, but eternally and spiritually. And if we keep the main, uh, the urgent priority, the, the main priority will be in the best chance to do that. That's what we must put our energies into and keep at the forefront of who we are as a church family. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this example from the apostles. And I pray that it might help us in our thinking, both individually and collectively as a church family. I pray, Lord, that we would see things as you see them, not as we get kind of dragged into and uh, we, we forget to put our eyes above. I thank you for this reminder this morning. Please use it to move us forward in a way that brings you glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.